Hello, I'm Suzanne Shaw. I'm a mum, a singer, actress and wellness advocate. In 2020, I changed my life for the better. I made myself a priority. I quit alcohol, adopted a plant-based lifestyle and found a love for running. Fast forward to a few years later and I can honestly say my life has changed beyond recognition. In this podcast, I'll be speaking to wellness experts and well-known self-improvement advocates and celebrities about all things well-being, along with finding out about their tips, tricks and secrets to living a happier, healthier life. So, on with the show. This week's guest is property guru, podcast host and author Rob Moore. I've known Rob for quite a few years now after I contacted him back in 2016 after reading one of his books, Life Leverage. We got talking over Twitter, or so I thought it was him, when in actual fact it was his assistant. It wasn't until I bumped into him at an event thanking him for responding to all of my messages that he then actually took over from his assistant and spoke to me direct. He confessed this only recently. He's straight talking. He's a multimillionaire who admits making his fortunes hasn't been the key to his happiness. It's a fascinating chat. Take a listen. What things do you not do in your life, Rob? Where did this all start? How did you become this multi-million pound successful brand? Well, what I don't do in my life is have any friends or any social <laughs> life. I definitely don't do that. Um, yeah, so I guess 16 years ago, I became an entrepreneur. I'm 43 now, so I was, what, 27-ish. And it all came about because my dad, Ray, was an entrepreneur and had very much the entrepreneurial journey of the highs and the lows, the millions and the busts. And I was too young to know about all that, but I wasn't too young to want to have a life like that. So I never wanted a traditional road. I wanted freedom and I wanted to own stuff. I didn't know I wanted to be my own boss or start my own business. I, I, I just knew I wanted what my dad was, which was bold and brave and could do what he wanted. And I just like, my dad, wow. And it, from age six, he got me working in his pub, which of course now would be illegal. But back then I loved work more than school. In fact, I hated school. Really? Well, I was the fattest kid in my year at school for three years, age 11 to 14, which is growing up and getting hormones and getting interested in girls. And that was really painful for me. Uh, hey, look, first world pain because I haven't lost loved ones or whatever, but that was my pain and it, yeah. it fucking hurt. I hated yeah. it. I hated being at school. I hated school. I just hated it. All those years growing up, I was like, I have to break free and I have to do something meaningful and to be able to express myself, to prove everyone wrong and to show I'm valuable and I can have, be liked and admired and respected. But then I got stuck in school and university and then working for my dad. And I feel like those years from 16 to 27 were just empty, dead and wasted. And then my dad on December the 15th, 2005, had a massive nervous breakdown in his pub in front of all of his customers. He had like this possessed moment. He started convulsing and um, he got arrested, beaten up by the police, sank, um, sectioned and 
diagnosed with bipolar. Wow. And in that moment, and in those weeks after, I went on this internal journey of self-loathing and hating myself and beating myself up because my dad had put me through school and university and bought my first car and helped buy my first house and given me this environment and this desire to be an entrepreneur and I'd just done nothing with it. But also that was probably the best. If I look back, it's probably actually the most important day of my life because I didn't know what and I didn't know how, but I knew I had to, I knew why I must go and be brave and face all my demons and take risks and leave the pub where my dad was, had employed me and leave my friends who weren't gonna be able to take this journey with me and go out into the world with no money and 50 grand's worth of debt. Fast forward a year and I'd got myself out of the 50 grand's worth of debt and I'd made nearly 100 grand. I'd paid off all my debts, I'd even bought a really nice sports car. I had 20 properties with my business partner as well. We did that on the side, fast forward another year, we had 50 properties. I wrote my first book, um, Property Investing Secrets. I think I became a millionaire by age 31 and it mattered to me then. It doesn't matter to me anymore, I'm 43 and because you make your first million, then your 10th million and you know, after a while, it's not really about how much you make, it's about what you do and how useful you are. But all of a sudden there's this outpouring of all the baggage of my childhood and all those wasted years I've written 18 books, I've done 800 podcast episodes of Disruptors, broke world records for the longest speeches, we've got 1,550 tenants in our property management company, hundreds of properties in our ownership company, and it's all like this big outpouring of making up for lost time and like the therapy of being the fat kid in the corner, I suppose. I find that really, really interesting. When, when you made your first million, how did that feel inside? Was it happiness? Nah. Emptiness? Mm. It was a tick on a box. Tick on yeah. A box. That's really interesting. I know. I always thought that was the goal. Right. Oh, by the way, 15 ish years ago, a million was quite a lot of money. Now, yeah, with yeah. inflation, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it is, if, if you think you can retire on a million quid, you yeah. are gravely mistaken. Yeah, yeah. However, it's the goal, isn't it? Yeah. Because, um, all the, you know, 10 million is probably the new million, but no, it, like, no, it was a tick on a box. I guess I thought it would be everything, but it was just a tick on a box. It, no, it wasn't everything I thought it would be. But at least I was on the way, you know. But no, if anyone thinks that being a millionaire is going to change your life, didn't me. Was there any point that you got to where you did think, okay, this has now changed my life financially? Well, financially, 10 million will change your life. So yeah. if you want a goal for for life-changing money. So some people call it fuck you money. Yeah. So fuck you money. It's like, I've got this amount of money, so fuck you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and to, to many people, not to everyone, but to many people, that's probably 10 million. Why? Because, I mean, I wrote the UK's best-selling book on money called Money, so I'm experienced to talk about this. Oh, which I've read, by the way, and it's brilliant, and it's very, very good, so thank, thank you, you for that. Yeah. My pleasure. Yeah. So 10 million, if you, if you earn 5% on 10 million, that's half a million a year. Most people can do all right on half a million a year and you've got your 10 million still in assets and the capital will go up as well as the income. But a million, you know, it's five to 10% inflation like we're at now, it's not enough. You can't get enough income from the assets. 5% of a million is 50 grand. That's, 50 grand is not a lot of money now, especially when you take the tax off, that's 28 grand. 10 million is, is enough money to go, do you know what, if I stop now, 
I can live very good life for five or six decades. But still, when, you, when, when I got there, I guess I was in my mid-30s when I got there. Still ain't enough. And it still wasn't like, well, hey, I'm made. It's just another tick on the box. What do you think has made you strive for that money, that success, that tick on the box and working your way up the ladder where you, you're not stopping, you've not retired, you've not gone, well, this is enough. What keeps you going? What is it that set that off, that spark? Well, I have tried to retire a lot of times. Right. So, you know, we met through my book, Life Leverage. Yep. And that was my first, no, it was my first property retirement. I retired when I got enough properties to retire, but then the financial crash happened. And, you know, I had to unretire myself. That was 2008. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, you make your first million, you think, oh, I could probably retire on this. And I did like a little sort of mini micro semi-retirement. And then I retired on life leverage. And then I re retired again about two years ago. And what I've learned about retirement is, retirement isn't stopping, retirement is changing. Mm -hmm. So no one actually stops. And by the way, if you do stop, you will probably die because the statistics say it. Mm -hmm. Most people die fairly soon after retirement and don't live out their full retirement. So you're better to change than to stop. So I learned that for me, retirement is change. But so what keeps me going, I suppose, is the answer that makes me the most embarrassed is that I still want to be respected, admired and noticed, maybe even loved. Because I still at times feel like that 13 year old fat kid. So that's the pain, the, the void that keeps me going. But I've also done a lot of personal development work on that to try and not hate that about myself and actually love that about myself and learn to use that. So flipping it on its head, what keeps me going is I've got a lot more work to do. I'm only 43. I want to have a big impact in the world. I want to help as many people on this planet start their business, scale their business, get better financial education and knowledge. I'm pretty young still, you know, they say 40 is the new 30 or whatever. So um, just more to do, more people to reach. That's where I look towards to keep me going. But really, I'm still filling a hole in my soul, which quite honestly, I, I don't think it will ever be full. I don't, you know, like I say this to my wife a lot because I, rem I remember saying to her, well, you know, you, you don't, say to me much your feelings towards me this was a moment in time by the way and she said well I married you didn't I and so but I'm thinking no 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 every day's a new day and you need to tell me every day you know that it's funny she said to me we, we had a little we had a meal out and we had a bit of a trip down the memory lane and I haven't told her this but she won't listen to this. Okay. She never fucking listens to, to my content. <laughs> but I asked her about some of her dates and relate, you know, relationships before, and she she was dating this guy, and it was her one that got away in a way. And I said, well, what do you like about him? And she said, well, he's, he's really good looking and he's funny, and I f felt an immediate sense of like pain and almost I wouldn't say jealousy because this was. 16 years ago but I felt a deep sense of emptiness and pain and I just wanted her to tell me that I'm really good looking and that I'm funny so I, I need that I, it's like 
if you put water in a bucket with a hole in it, you can never fill that bucket up. Mm. And I know that's me. And I hated that about me for so many years. But now I know that Will Smith's got it. Look what's happened recently with Will Smith. Will Smith's got the biggest hole in his soul ever. Oprah Winfrey was abused as a child. Many public speakers, entrepreneurs, people are making the biggest difference in the world. They were abused. They had childhood trauma. They're, they're filling their own selves through their work. And many great artists and entrepreneurs, that's what drives them. So yeah, I, I sort of have a, a love-hate relationship with myself in that regard. Do you think then, therefore, filling that hole and fixing it will stop you from being successful? Well, this is a fear I have. Mm -hmm. Why a, a lot of my peers talk about having ayahuasca, but I don't want to all of a sudden relinquish all ego and then, oh, all right, yeah, just buy wife, buy businesses, buy clients, buy everything. I'm going to go and walk barefoot in the Amazon for the rest of my life. I don't know that I want to be too enlightened because I actually really love my life and I love what I do. And yeah, if that void were filled, why would I write another book? Why would I do another podcast? Why would I buy a... We've just developed a 159-unit apartment block in the centre of town. It's the biggest... Centre of town being Peterborough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just 45 minutes from London. Yeah. It's the biggest private rental building in the city. It took us five years and millions and millions of pounds. We wouldn't bother freaking doing that. Because we, we had enough money. Why buy more real estate when you've got enough money? Why write another book when you've written 18? So yeah, you're absolutely right. This is what people don't understand. Too many people are looking for happiness and looking for fulfillment. Problem is, if you got to the destination of happiness and fulfillment, there would be nothing left. There would be nothing to chase, nothing to pursue, nothing to overcome. The world, the universe, actually, the purpose of life is not happiness. The purpose of life isn't fulfillment. It's a reward or a a transient moment to move towards something, but the destination is not it. It's never there. No. You're never going to get it. No. But you have to believe you're going to get it. Otherwise, if you know you're never going to get it, you don't even bother trying. So but we you have, have moments along the way which keep you going, which keep you striving for more, which yeah, keep pushing you forward. Yeah, basically a big fuck-off tease. The universe is a big fuck-off tease. <laughs> I it, love that. It is. It totally it'll is. It'll give you just enough of what you're after just to keep you going for it. It's like my <laughs> Until wife. Until the day yeah. you die. <laughs> yeah. It's like your wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think we, if we ever got to full enlightenment, I think that's it. That's, that's, that's your time. I mean, you can keep going and finding and searching this happiness, and I totally agree with you, and I, I totally get it. I think filling that pain, conquering that pain, possibly stops your ambitions, because I think that pain is the thing that helps you help others. I think it also helps you find your well-being and your happiness by helping others. That's mm. another thing to fill up your bucket of well-being, mm. is helping others. Is that what you love, to help yeah. others through your work and your success? Yeah, so one of the great things about being an entrepreneur is you get to create meaningful products and services that you're passionate about and help a lot of people doing it. The balance you have as an entrepreneur is you have to make profit. If you don't make profit, you can end up trading insolvently and trading insolvently is illegal, although the government are allowed to trade, trade insolvently, but entrepreneurs aren't. So you have to be profit focused. If you're not profit focused, then you, you can't run a business. But if you're too profit focused and you forget about care and service and value and kindness and you know what you actually do for people and the difference you make in the world, then you'll lose those customers and clients. So there's this 
fine balance between you have to be profit focused, but you have to be service focused as well. And, and that's, off, that's a difficult dance because it does make you feel great to do things for people, but it also makes you feel great to make money. Mm -hmm. And I, there are a lot of people out there that are giving too much. You know, you, you especially see it, coaches, consultants, trainers, people who are starting their new business. They're not really charging. They just do it all for free to get some case studies and some recommendations. And they're always undercharging their worth because they have some kind of guilt or issues around charging because they haven't connected value and profit. Because I think a lot of people have, and this is me, including me, a terrible relationship with money, guilt over money. And I don't know whether that is learnt behaviour from hearing the fear of money in my household growing up. Your family, your location, environment, media, network, the, the, what you consume yourself with, your faith and your religion, uh -huh. these are all the things that basically create your map or meaning around money. Yeah. I could disprove every single theory someone has against money. So people, for example, say money is the root of all evil. Well, I could prove how it's the root of all good mm -hmm. because I've given away more than a million pounds to charities over the years, which I wouldn't be able to do if I was skinned. And there are so many billionaires giving away billions to charities. Many billionaires are giving away all their wealth. And a lot of the people that people who judge criticize about billionaires, one, they don't have any money, so they're not contributing to society they're consuming. And two, the billionaires, they, they accuse of being greedy are actually giving billions away and they don't even know it. So yes, your environment totally, and your parents especially, totally form your beliefs around money, but your beliefs are not real. They're only real to you. Mm -hmm. But I wrote in my book, Money, a whole chapter on every negative belief I could find through all my research over 15 years around money, and I flipped it on its head and put the um, polar opposite. You know, many, in many religions, um, interest is usury, which is um, against that religion, but interest keeps you interested. Interest teaches you how to manage money. Mm -hmm. If I lent you money and there was no interest, you wouldn't be interested in paying me back. And if you have to pay me interest, you have to organize your financial affairs to pay me back. And then you learn to borrow and pay money back. Society gives you a good credit score if you do that. So interest is good as well as bad. Religion teaches you that the love of money is the root of all evil. But it's not. Evil is the root of all evil because money is just a tool and money isn't conscious. Money doesn't judge. It doesn't have an opinion. It's a universal exchange of value, a measure of account and worth. Money is a tool made by man, therefore money becomes what man makes money. You could take 20 pounds or dollars and you could feed probably 20 kids for probably 20 days in the developing world. That's a great way to use money. How could that be the root of all evil? But you could take 20 pounds or dollars and buy 20 bullets and put them in a magazine and shoot the same 20 kids. So your environment is everything around how you believe money, but it isn't real. Mm. It's just what you've made real. Do you think you can make a hundred pounds as quickly as you can make a million if you had the right mindset to it? Well, billionaires can make a million in a minute or an hour. And actually, 
anyone who's got a bad relationship with money, that first hundred pounds probably will be harder than the last hundred thousand pounds to get to the million. Because to make the small money, you've got to overcome all your limiting beliefs and your mindset issues to be able to make the small money before you make the big money. But if you change your mindset around money, your money will change. I believe the universe is a mirror. So I believe what you put out to the world, you get back. Mm -hmm. If you complain, you attract complainers. Law of it, attraction, isn't law it? Law of attraction. If yeah. you give generously, you'll attract generosity. But so many people are carrying all these limiting relationships around money. We can talk about it if you want. Mm. I do actually want to talk about it because I think it's a, a big part of our well-being. You know, if our relationship isn't good with money, we need money to survive. We need we money to exist. And if you don't have a great relationship and it's been a part of my detriment to my well-being, massive part of that, that if I had a better relationship with money, my well-being improves. Mm. When it does, when I look at it differently, when I have a better relationship, when I manage it better, mm. just like routine, just like what you are, what you eat, um, just like how to exercise, it's better for it. I think money is a big part of something we can't keep avoiding talking about within a household, within business, like you said before about how you charge. Don't be shy of charging. Don't feel guilty about this because if you don't manage it, you can't be a better person. Mm. You can't give more. So I think that relationship and that mindset towards money is a big part of our well-being. I think there are many issues. I agree with you completely. And I think there are many issues that hold us back from really being honest about money. So mm -hmm. I'm going to talk quickly about a couple of things. Number one, imagine you were the only person in the world and there was no one to judge you, no one, would you want to be rich or poor? Would you want to have abundant wealth or scarce hand-to-mouth, month-to-month? I believe everyone, everyone watching and listening, everyone would rather have abundant wealth than scarce, poverty, but they would only give themselves permission, because it's about giving yourself permission, mm -hmm. if they had absolutely no regard to how they would be judged by their parents, their friends, society at large or whatever. And we, we're very judgmental in the UK and with money is one of the most taboo subjects. And people get it all wrong. And there's so much hate and criticism and judgment around money. But let me just say this again, everyone listening and watching, do you want a shit car or a nice car? Do you want a cock, do you want to be sleeping in your bed with a cockroach? Or do you want to have a bed so big, you could have a menage a 50, you know, <laughs> whatever. Do you want to travel in style and luxury? Or do you, know, do you want to get the, you know, Everyone wants wealth, but so many people are scared about how they'll be judged. Now, something else you said about money is linked to well-being. People don't talk about this, but you have a great sense of awareness on this because the etymology, the history of the word wealth is weal, W-E-A-L, which means well-being. So people do not understand, but wealth actually means well-being. 
Riches is more around money, but wealth means well-being. But if you study history, the people who have the most money generally live the longest and have the better health, generally, not always. Why? Because they can afford the best healthcare, medicine. They can, you know, like a lot of the billionaires at the moment are trying to live to their 140 and 150. And they're biohacking, you know, and their um, stem cell therapy and all that. That's fucking expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, yeah. so you can prolong your life and live well if you are wealthy. And you can't if you're not. Go to the developing countries, see all the illness through and the disease. So actually, money and health are intrinsically linked and inseparable concepts. One, number one, because... The word wealth came origin from well-being. And number two, the more wealthy you are, as long as you use it and invest it well, you can invest into your health with your wealth and live longer and better. And I think if people talked about wealth relating to health and freed themselves from the shackles of judgment. The shame around it, the shame. I think that really, really destroys our mental health because we, because of shame. Shame with things that you've done in your life. Shame around money. We're shame. What shame do you have around money then? Oh, that's an interesting question. I don't know. I think a lot of my issues with money is more learned behavior. Um, I, I think just the stress around it. When I am creating projects and I know that they potentially could be financially valuable, my stress levels start to go up because I've seen a lot of stress and fear around money through my parents saying, oh, we can't afford the bills. Money doesn't go around trees. You can't have that. No, this is the way we need to be. I was Catholic growing up. It was wow. the devil. You know, we, wow. it, I think it's, it's more so that. And I think, I think earning it at a very young age and not knowing how to manage it because I was never taught to put into property. I did. I lost my house. I had to give the keys back to my first property. And the fear of making it and losing it again, I think that's where it's from. Well, isn't that ironic? The fear of making it and losing it again will stop you making it, so therefore you'll never make it, but surely better to make it, lose it, and make it again than to never make it for fear of losing it. I think success scares me, not just financially. I Why? Think, I think because of the whole hearsay times I think that's 20 years ago I know I know and um, you know we oh, this, have... I'm glad we did it in this order because I'm interviewing you next, so this is going to be great as much as I I love success because again like you I feel like you can have a platform to do better with mm. and that I'm like that's my goals in life is to drive with that purpose to help others mm. and use that platform I do I think worry because of the media side so I think that interlinks with the financial side so I think it's just when you say worry because of the media side, what, what might be printed yeah. about you? Yeah, yeah. Well, aren't they going to print about you anyway? Well, yeah, yeah. So, I... might as well be rich. That's very true. Because I always say this to people. Yeah. People will judge you anyway. Yeah. So, you might as well be rich. Exactly. Would I rather be judged for being skint or rich? Is that more or less inspiring to others? For every person that hates the fact that I have Lamborghinis and Ferraris and I fly helicopters and whatever other brags are out there. For every person that hates that, there's someone watching that going, that inspires me and I want to be that. Whereas no one is inspired by someone who's destitute. And it might not be their fault, by the way, and I'm not judging. No, no, no. But if you want to inspire others, 
like, no one would hire a personal trainer who's not fit. Mm -hmm. So no one's going to be inspired by someone to be successful if they're skinned and not successful. Mm -hmm. So I would actually say people are playing small and letting others down if they don't become the greatest versions of themselves. Yeah. Here's something else I don't agree with. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, you should just accept yourself for who you are. No, you could be so much more. I don't accept myself for who I am. I'm 43. And when I'm 53 and 63 and 73 and 83, I better, I better have been made 10 billion and helped 100 million people. Otherwise, I need to have a word with myself. So there's a lot of this, oh, just be happy where you're at and, you know, and be in the present moment and accept yourself for who you are. But no, we're, we're all, we were all born to do more, mm. to be a, a fully self-actualized version of ourselves. None of us were born to be a mediocre, played small version of ourselves. So that all, all of that we've just talked about takes money. Mm -hmm. But I, no one is inspired by anyone who's broke. And you will get judged anyway. Two things I want to pick up on that. Judgment, is that the biggest driver? And is that the biggest fear that we have is because of judgment? Is that, is that leading us in life? Well, and destroying us both? I have struggled with that my whole life. Mm -hmm. Because being the fattest kid in school, I felt really ostracized. I felt the outsider, didn't get any interest from girls, didn't get picked at sport. They were always talking about me and if they weren't, I thought they were. So I built this overcompensation coping mechanism whereby I could get on with anyone. I learned how to be friends with everyone through, I, I didn't even know what rapport was, but I knew how to build rapport. I knew how to agree with people. I knew how to avoid conflict. And at school, I was one of the only people in my school that was, you know, the people who liked Rage Against the Machine and Nirvana, I was friends with them. The people who were captains of the sport, I was friends with them. I was friends with the girls and the boys. And I was friends with everyone. But that was a coping mechanism to not be an outsider. So what it developed in me as I grew up is a fear of conflict and a major fear of judgment. So what you do is you posture and, and spend so much of your life worrying and second guessing and dancing around how people may judge you. Mm. And I've spent decades doing that and that is fucking exhausting, number one. And number two is you're just always left empty thinking, who am I? And when you, and I have not fully mastered, because nothing is fully masterable, but I have transcended to a larger degree the concern for judgment. And that is so liberating because you can finally, finally say, this is me and this is who I am. So I have a lot of guilt around talking about people. I don't like criticising people. I don't like talking about people because I don't think it's respectful, but I don't want to cause any conflict. But I think that's a very amazing quality that you have, and I've always noticed that about you. It is, but what if someone needs to be brought down? What if, like, I'm just gonna, I, I did a live on Meghan Markle, and I, and I thought, I'm not, I'm, I'm just gonna fucking criticize her. Okay, Why? interesting. Because she made moves to get Joe Rogan canceled, or put heat on Spotify to get rid of Joe Rogan. She got paid tens of millions of pounds and has done one podcast episode. 
in two years. If, if I paid you 50 million to do your podcast as your sponsor and your you know, platform, I'd be pissed with you if you'd done one episode in two years. Yeah, and enough. you'd probably feel freaking guilty. Yeah. She doesn't seem to give a shit. Not that I know anyone. I don't know her, but so that's wrong. That is wrong to take tens of millions and not do a podcast, but put pressure on Spotify to get rid of Joe Rogan. He's a, he's a far more credible creator than her. She also was part of the reason Piers Morgan got cancelled. Now, whether you like Piers Morgan or not, well, we, we can go there, but I, Piers Morgan should not have been cancelled from ITV because who, are, unless he is abusing people, but who am I to say Piers Morgan should be cancelled off ITV? He basically said he thought that she was lying on the interview with Oprah. He's allowed to say that. He's allowed to say that. And so she writes to ITV, puts pressure on ITV to cancel because she's Meghan Markle, and Piers Morgan gets cancelled from ITV. That's wrong. So anyway, the, the reason I'm intentionally going here on your show, sorry yeah, for yeah. hijacking No, is, no, no, it's fine. I never would have had the courage to speak my truth. Mm -hmm. But that is my truth, and I believe that. And by the way, I don't know her, and if I had the opportunity to talk to her, I'd talk about her with on these things, and I would listen to her point of view too. Yeah. And I don't want to cancel her. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to speak out about stuff like that, because that is societal and cultural. Because if I said, oh, we shouldn't ban people or cancel people, and we shouldn't take 50 million up front and not do any content, it doesn't really have the same gravitas as if I say, Meghan Markle's done it. So I never would have been able to do that, because I wouldn't have had the courage to speak out. When did that change happen? Because like, that's the first I've heard you really go in. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it very rarely and very yeah. infrequently because I actually had to think a lot about doing it and a whole load of baggage came up for me doing it. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I don't want to do this. This is really who I am. But I believed that so much. I had to face that. Even if it ends up being wrong and I deleted it, I faced it. Right. Because basically people would treat me like shit for most of my life and I'd say nothing. But in, if, you, if you allow yourself to get bullied in entrepreneurship and you don't speak up against what's wrong in the world, then you don't have a business. So when did it change? It was an evolution. Because the thing about business is it gives you great lessons. Because in business, if you make mistakes, it costs you money. Mm. And you know most people get the lesson when it costs them money. Let's say, you, let's say you've got a friendship group and you say or do something and you end up drifting away from one of your friends and you lose them. You won't really know why and you'll just move on. But if you said something or did something and it cost you a hundred grand, you're like, I'm not doing that again. And I learned that avoiding from conflict and you know, people pleasing and worrying all the time. Because if you worry, for example, if I worry all the time about what my staff think about me, I can't make any decisions. Because yeah. I have to make decisions that at least half my staff are not going to like. And, and so I always used to worry about that. I used to get too close to them. Right. So what I learned was, if you're a people pleaser and you avoid conflict and you're always worried about being judged, you can never truly be yourself. And the greatest gift you can give to yourself and the people around you is to truly be yourself. But to truly be yourself is to have the courage to be judged. Do you have to also have the courage to be vulnerable? 
Well, I think having the courage to be judged is being vulnerable. Because I think judgment is one of our greatest pains. Mm. I think judgment leads to ridicule and ridicule leads to being pushed out of society. We have to have a strong fear against being pushed out of society. Because if we didn't, then, I mean, being pushed out of society meant death, however many yeah. thousand years ago, didn't it? Yeah. So we have an inherent, inbuilt, strong fear of ostracization from society. And judgment, and it's judgment, ridicule, ostracization, you know, in that, I guess, order of um, how strong it is. So we must fear being judged. Because actually, a fear of judgment is also good, because it makes you question. Like this Mega Markle video I did, it's had 100,000 views, so um, it's medium-sized video for me. I'm probably glad it didn't have 3 million views. Um, Yet. But uh, you never yeah. know what happens. You never know. Um, <laughs> I'll revive it. <laughs> yeah, yeah don't, don't share it on your Instagram. But um, I went through that process, that thought process of what the right thing to do was and faced my fear of judgment in doing it. So you saying it's a nice trait about me that I don't speak badly of people, I will always endeavour to be that but I will never have that at the cost of my own authenticity, which is a lesson that I learned. Like that, I like that. Because she fucking needs that feedback. You know, come on, start offering value to society instead of breaking up British institutions and having to go at people who are, I mean, Joe Rogan is a, a global institution who should be supported and preserved, not canceled. Mm. And uh, look, that's a bit of a trigger for me because I believe we're all, that's why I will defend Piers Morgan, even though I know a lot of people hate him. I'm not, I'm not agreeing with him, but he has a right for free speech, just like I do. And if I start trying to cancel people because I don't agree with them, then I should be cancelled. But that's the hardest thing for people to do because we all want to cancel people who don't agree with our own narrative. Of course. And I think we have to get a bit uncomfortable with that before we can get comfortable mm. with it. And I think that's the transition we're going through personally yeah. in life at the moment. It's on the edge of what are we allowed to say? What can't we say? And there is, there are, there are times where we, it, enough is enough. And I, I truly believe it because I have been bullied in the media. I've gone through hell and back and it should never have been done. Do you need the basics of looking after your health to become wealthy? For example, routine, is it the future of your success? Having consistency, routine, making sure you're looking after yourself for a great mindset, exercise, eating well, to be able to come, become as successful as possible and as wealthy as possible. So Warren Buffett said the two keys to his success were good genes and compounding. And what he means by that is, he has lived a long life, so that's the good genes part. Mm -hmm. And compounding, he believes, is the eighth wonder of the world. So if you have good health, you have a brilliant foundation to build wealth upon. So good health might be that you live till you're 90. And if you live till you're 90, you've got far more chance of getting rich than if you live till you're 50. Just on a mathematical, you've got a lot more yeah. time. Yeah. So number one. Number two, you can have the art of compounding to kick in. You invest and you get a return. But your energy... So I believe 
that um, a lot of people talk about routines, getting up in the morning, exercising, all of this stuff. But I actually would liken success and longevity to energy. Like Warren Buffett doesn't go down the gym every day. And Steve Jobs died when he was 48. Mm. But what they brought was energy. Yeah, you're correct. Whether that's passion, enthusiasm, drive, desire, vision, mission, you name it, energy. Mm. So to your art form, whether it's your music career or your business career, or whether it's in making money or starting a business, you need to bring energy. And illness takes energy away and wellness gives energy out. Because one of the laws, I think it's the conservation law of energy states that energy cannot be created or destroyed, merely cha it changes form. So something is either taking energy from something or giving energy to something. Mm. So illness is consuming energy and wellness is radiating energy. You know, and sometimes say, oh, you look well, you look radiant, you know, you're, you're um, emitting energy. But then you know those sort of negative people and you like, they're sucking all your blood out of Mood you. Mood hoover, Exactly, I yeah, yeah, <laughs> energy drains. So energy is everything. Yeah. So success is energy, progress is energy, wellness is energy, starting and scaling a business is energy. So we can all have a different type of energy. You could get an energy from doing ultra marathons like you do, or you could just get energy from having a walk or an interesting conversation. But we must all be self-aware what gives us really good energy. So great conversations like this give me good energy. Good long walks give me good energy. Um, listening to inspiring content gives me good energy. Making a difference gives me good energy. Doing about a 30 minute workout gives me good energy. I've learned that any longer or shorter is maybe not optimum for me. So you've got to figure out what gives you good energy. Mm. And energy is a life force. Therefore, you'll have wellness. The next thing, I don't know if it's talked about enough with wellness. It probably is, but I want to talk about it more. Is People talk about how diet is important, how exercise is important. I'm going to throw it out there that there's something even more important than those two. Okay. That is regulating your stress. Because I have seen just from my own limited view, and I'm not, any, I'm not a health guru, so just saying, mm -hmm. but if I look at the people I know and I see people in the world, to me, stress seems like the biggest killer, Yeah, I would say. Now, how can someone smoke 40 fags a day until they're 92 and still not die? How can someone have the worst diet ever and live long? But I've never seen anyone in high stress you know, they seem to be, I have this belief that stress is withheld energy. Now, what you repress must be expressed. And one of my mentors, John Demartini, said that illness is the opposite of wellness. Therefore, disease is dis ease and he says that any physical ailment in the body any physical ailment in the body is the body's way of releasing the energy that's been built up inside number one and it is feedback to you that there's something wrong because if you think about it if you didn't have a lump or a rash or a pain or a tumor 
how would you know that there's anything wrong with your body? Yeah. You wouldn't. So we get these illnesses and we almost think like we're doomed and it's over, but it's your body's way of giving you feedback there is something wrong. Mm -hmm. And if the energy can't be released and expressed, it must be repressed. Mm -hmm. And generally, I think you find that the level of illness is linked to the level of stress or anxiety or what's being held in. And I've got two very close family members who, with some pretty deep conversations I've had recently, I'm pretty sure the issues with their bowels and the issues with their joints are emotional. Mm -hmm. So actually, I would say the greatest thing we can do for our wellness is to manage our stress levels because we're poisoning our body with these chemicals that put us on high alert when we're not supposed to be on high alert that long. Mm. They're just my loose theories. You know, I have done a lot of my own study, but I would say everyone do their own research and their own scientific study. But Well, it is exactly why yoga works so well, how meditation works, breath work, because it is that realignment. It's releasing the energies. It's, it's allowing you to let go of the trauma, to cry it out. Crying, so important to do. You release an energy. It's not, yeah. oh, you're weak, you're pathetic, you're, you know, judged again. It, it's, mm. You have to do it to release the energy, to cure the, the illness and the stress levels and manage yeah. it. You have to release it. Mm. Yeah, my wife, wife asked me, when was the last time you cried? And I think it was my nan's funeral. And that was a long time ago. So I'm going to go and find some <laughs> massive cry. <laughs> but yeah, what, what, um, what you repress must be expressed. And if it's not, it will express itself. Yeah. This, one of the biggest life lessons for me was to not avoid conflict. I have spent much of my life avoiding conflict. And then when you do personal development, mindfulness and awareness and meditation, everything else, you teach yourself emotional mastery and you can avoid conflict. Because you have a higher sense of enlightenment, not, not to judge anyone. And, but what you repress must be expressed. So if you avoid conflict long enough, it will build up inside of you and it must be expressed somehow. So for example, I'll just flip out once a year and absolutely lose my shit. That film Falling Down, Michael Douglas, just going about his day and then he just goes and unleashes and shoots everyone. And, um, I have this, or I had these big, I, I, don't, I don't even know what language to use. Almost meltdowns. Yeah. But it, it, wasn't, it wasn't reacting to the moment. The moment was the straw that broke the camel's back. So, for example, in your relationship, you know, with the people that you love, if you do not express, and you can do that in an elegant way, but if you do not express your truth and your feelings, they will build and they will build and they will build and they will build and they will turn into resentment and anger. And in the end, you'll have the biggest freaking argument ever and you'll dump the whole world on them and they'll think, fuck, where did all that come from? So actually, my biggest risk in life is confronting confrontation and going to those places and pushing that conflict in the seeking of my own truth. Because I know, even though it'll be painful then, mm. it'll be way better later. Absolutely. Way better later. I've got someone at the moment. He's repeatedly messaging me to put me in 
to put him in touch with Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson at the moment is like one of the biggest guys ever. I'm fortunate enough to have a relationship with him, them, their team. I've interviewed him once, we'll be doing it again. And this guy's just asking me to be put in touch. This guy's done nothing for me. I'm gonna freaking tell him. You keep asking me for this, but what are you doing in return? Because hmm. each time he asks me, I get more pissed off. But I'm just gonna tell him, I'm, so, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not giving you one of my most valuable contacts because you want them when you haven't done anything for me. That's my truth, that's what I really think. And what I'd normally do is, oh, well, I've done lots of personal development and I can be grateful for it and I can see the upside in it, blah, blah, blah. No, express your truth. The, everyone's always saying in the world, you gotta be yourself. You know, be authentic. Well, that's me being authentic. It's like, no, I'm not giving you his details. Piss off and give me something and then I will. But that, that, that I absolutely agree with. I think, but we, we, we're not taught to have uncomfortable conversations, particularly in the UK, particularly mm. as British people are not taught or we, we're taught to avoid. We're yeah. taught to slag each other off behind each other's backs. How's that better? Then, yeah, how's that better? And then be nice. No, it's not better. No. It's not better. Sure, I would rather someone slag me to my face and talk well behind my back than talk behind, you know, than yeah. the other way around. I'd but, much but rather But we can that. still have a conversation and it'd be good. It doesn't have to be an angry conversation. It can be a very frank, honest, this is how I'm feeling. This is my upset and vulnerability towards it. This is my pain and anger. There you go. I've shared it. That's what yeah. that's what I'm standing for. I'm happy to hear your side. Okay, mm. we'd agree to disagree. Let's move on from it. It's done. It's out in the yeah. open. We're realigned. We're all happy. And yeah. We can oh, <laughs> and then you you have a better connection afterwards. Yeah, of course and you, you will. Can, trust you know, the trust will be yeah, there more. Exactly. P people trust people much more who deal with confrontation rather than avoid. I saw this brilliant TikTok on the difference between a good person and a nice person. And a nice person will always be nice, but they will lie behind and avoid truths and avoid confrontations. A good person will challenge you and avoid the, uh, face those confrontations. Mm -hmm. You know, I always wanted to be a nice person. I don't want to be a nice person now. I want to be a good person. And a good person is doing things that are right and truthful. And that involves conflict. Yeah. And I spent my whole life avoiding it. But then all you do is you bring that energy to that person anyway. If there's things that are pissing you off about someone and you avoid it and avoid it, remember what you repress must be expressed. So it will be expressed through interruptions, frustrations, you know, accusations, talking behind their back, etc. So yeah, for me, this is, this is my big thing in life right now is to face confrontation. There's, it, does it have to be confrontation, though, no. as a word? Is it transparency? No. Is it honesty? Is it truth? Do you know what I mean? I think that's what we, we're scared of, is confrontation is thinking. Confrontation, to me, sounds like we're going to have an argument. Yeah. Whereas if we're being transparent, that's just honesty. That's being brutally honest. Yeah. Yeah, I think honesty is a, a good way. The only reason I call it conflict is because you have to be prepared to go there. Yeah, yeah. Because you have to be prepared. Because yeah. for example, we all know someone who needs to be told a truth, but we know they can't handle it when we tell them. Mm -hmm. So we don't tell them because we know they can't handle it, so we avoid it. So that's going to be conflict. There are things my wife could say to me that would really fucking hurt. Mm. But I would hope that she would say it. So that's why I call it conflict. 
because the, the, the deepest truths are probably the most difficult things. Now, my therapist taught me, don't say, oh, you know, Suzanne, you said this, you do this, I don't like this. Say, I'm feeling like, and this is how I feel. Because that's less confrontational and it's less accusatory. Mm-hmm. And I like that approach. But anyone who's a conflict avoider, here's what will happen. You'll end up just avoiding it. So in business, there's something that's called the shit sandwich. Yeah. It was devised by the police. You know, <laughs> what you're really good at, here's your feedback and overall what you're good at. The problem yeah. is I'm so good at a shit sandwich now, there's no shit in the sandwich. <laughs> And, and in the, in any, you think, oh, that was great because I made them feel really good. But then they go and repeat the behavior. Yeah. So sometimes they just need the shit, an open shit sandwich with, you know. A skinny a, shit a, sandwich. A, yeah, carbless. <laughs> shit, I like that. A shit sandwich with no carbs. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but by the way, if people listening and watching have too much conflict, they've probably got to do the opposite and they've got to yeah. learn to articulate it in a more respectful way. I'm just coming from the place of, conflict avoidance. We're going to wrap up because we, I could actually speak to you for hours here. <laughs> I really could. And maybe we do a part two at some point. But um, I always finish on uh, a question that I like my viewers to either take away, my listeners to take away from. And that is, you know, that the podcast is Dare to be Happy. What is it do you do to, whether it's big, mundane, wacky, crazy, whatever it is that pushes you to, to your happiness? What do you dare to be happy about? And would you pass on to my listeners? So I think your concept, dare to be happy, is brilliant. And the reason I think it's brilliant is because it sounds simple, but it's not. Mm. And the reason it's not is we would all be more courageous towards our happiness if we weren't concerned about how people would judge us. Like, I can't fucking dance, but if I didn't think anyone would judge me, you would see how I could dance. And it's fucking awful. (laughs) But you know they say dance like no one is watching, something like that. So if you've ever seen a baby horse try and walk for the first (laughs) time, that's how I dance. But I don't dance, because I don't want you to judge me dancing, so I won't dance because of that reason. So daring to be happy is being courageous and facing the judgment and the ridicule in the pursuit of doing the things you love that make you happy. So for me, what makes me the happiest is truly being myself around people. And I find that hard because I'm quite sensitive to people's energies and then picking up on me because I had to be when I was the fat kid. Do you believe that, that you're an empath then if you are sensitive? I to really don't empath? like labels because I think as soon as we own a label, we put ourselves into a box and that box can restrict who we are. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't define myself as an empath, mm-hmm. but I care if you're engaged in this podcast, and I want you to have had a good experience with me. I care that those guys are in a good place. Yeah. So if I see Harry slouch, and I think he's disengaged, I'll sense that. He might not be, Yeah. but so I I pick up on all those things. I get that. 
and that's the defensive nature of survival of when I was the fat, the fat kid before. But for me, true happiness is, go, is like saying, this is Rob. Like Harry and I, when the cameras are off, we have, we have food and sex. All right. Wow. <laughs> wow. And let me wow. finish the statement. Let me finish the statement. So we, we have two, sh- I would love to do a, a podcast called Sex and Money. I would just think that I, I want to quit everything and just do a podcast called Sex and Money. But Harry and I love food and love talking about sex. We just love it. And we can't, you can't do it anywhere else because you get judged. Talk it, not do, it. do the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> you can't talk about it. But when the cameras are off and we're there and we're just talking about it and I feel like I can properly express myself, I feel good in that moment. But as soon as then the cameras are on or someone comes in or, or, or whatever else, it's like... Ooh, so for me, truly being myself, and it takes a load of courage because like, if I'm really myself, my wife might reject me. My wife might not want to be with me. And, and like, this is true, by the way, but like, my staff might not want to work for me. My customers might not want to buy from me. Because like, I know who I am and I'm pretty good at being myself. But there's always a certain amount of holding back. So daring to be happy is allowing yourself to enjoy your life and pursue the things that make you happy and not caring at all about being judged for it. I love that. What a way to end the show. Thank you, Rob. Boom. Boom. Great job. Wow, what a brilliant discussion that was. You know, it really does go to show that fame and fortune isn't all it's cracked up to be. Rob's net worth is over 200 million, yet he's still searching for the answers, searching for more in life. And from my personal experience, fame really doesn't give you contentment or happiness. You suddenly don't just become superhuman with fame and fortune. You're still human with feelings, working all this crazy stuff out. So my takeaway from this episode is to find that inner peace by loving yourself no matter what your wealth or status is. Lean into the uncertainty of life. Accept nothing will ever be perfect and open up your eyes and see the beauty in the small things. Have a great day and remember to love you and take care of you. If you enjoyed that episode, please leave a review and make sure you have subscribed to Dare To Be Happy. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening to Dare to be Happy. Hope you enjoyed this episode. It would mean the world to me if you could share my show with your friends and family. And if you could rate and review and subscribe, it means others can find out all about the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find me on Instagram at Susie underscore Shaw, or you can email me at info at thehappyhealthclub.com. Sending you tons of love and I'll see you soon. 